0: Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? We've had exciting guests, rabbis and activists, artists and thinkers, bringing their unique brand of Torah into your living rooms. But we've only begun to scratch the surface. We need more voices, more ideas, more of the leaders and innovators and healers and writers who are filling this city with its soul. For the Torah of Berlin is eclectic, it is different and sometimes strange, but it is brimming with individuality, with hope, with a taste of the world we have yet to build. So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious.
1: This week will be the first in a series of interviews with the new members of the Yodosudé Forstand, the Executive Committee of the Jewish Student Union of Deutschland. Enjoy getting to know these incredible emerging leaders.
0: Hello, and welcome to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borowitz, and I am here uh, with the, in, a new member of the Yodosudeh Vorstand, Lena Pritula. Lena, thank you for joining us this evening.
2: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so we're going to start out uh, with a question. What is your earliest Jewish memory?
2: Well, I think... So I was born in the Ukraine... And I think the earliest memory I have about Judaism is eating matzah when I was like three, four years old. And I didn't know anything about Judaism because my parents (laughs) are not religious at all. But this matzah that we ate, I just remember dipping it in. I think it was butter. (laughs) I don't know why, but I was dipping in a butter and eating this. So, yeah, I think that's it.
0: Wow. Where where was this in Ukraine?
2: Um it's very far in the east, so um it's a small town called Sverdlovsk and so look, um yeah. yeah it's been it's, it's
0: been in the news the last couple of years,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's where I'm from, and I was born there
0: wow, cool so who you're you living with your parents? Did you have grandparents around as well?
2: Yes, so um, my father's not Jewish, and so his mother stayed in the Ukraine, but my grandma that's the mother from my mother, she came with us to um Germany, yeah,
0: and how old were you when you came to Germany?
2: I was four and a half, and it was quite wow. late because we came in two thousand and four um wow. so not like many other that came like in the nineties after the Soviet Union like um yeah,
0: do you remember anything about the journey? I mean that's such a young age to do such a big journey
2: um. I remember going by train and always asking my mother if we could eat the chicken now. We had chicken, and I wanted this chicken. Um, you know, it was a long journey, and I just wanted this chicken. Don't ask me why. And then I remember going from one house to another and not really finding a place where to live. And we had to like find shelter somewhere because we were... Immigrants and we knew nothing. I mean, my family wow. came with like 2000 euros to Germany. They left everything behind and we had nothing. Wow. Um, wow. So it was quite difficult. And I was always asking, is this a place we're going to live? Is this a place we're going to live? And um, it took a while, but we settled.
0: Wow. And so it, it's really. Um, it's really, so it was the four of you and you're just looking for a place, the four. And did you know, um, I, I know you mentioned you grew up in Nuremberg. Um, did you know, like, did you show up in Nuremberg? Why Nuremberg? What led you there?
2: We actually had, um, my uncle that came here in 1998, I think. And so he had a, he had a small flat here, but we couldn't fit in. Um, and he was in Nuremberg, so it was the most, um, yeah, easy place to come here.
0: Wow. Okay. So like you show up and like, do they just drop you off at a Kita and say, good luck? (laughs) And you figure out like, what are some of your earliest memories of being in Germany?
2: I actually remember the kindergarten I went to and I didn't know any words in German. And I told to my mom, I don't want to go there. I don't know the people. I don't know the language. Mom, I'm as quiet as a fish. Wow. Don't ask me why a fish. But I I was screaming. I was yelling. Um, I don't want to go there. I'm, I'm quiet as a fish. But, I mean, that's the way I learned German, you know. And I'm pretty happy that it was um, in my early days. So, I'm pretty good in German now. <laughs> and I think this was very beneficial for me.
0: Wow. OK, so when um, did, were you um, did you immediately start sort of integrating with the Yiddish Gemeinde in Nuremberg? Like what, do you, what were some of your earliest interactions with Jewish life in Germany?
2: Well, in 2005, we joined the Jewish community in Nuremberg. And I remember immediately going to Hanukkah and Purim and learning songs and um, eating and, you know, just getting along with other kids going to the to the youth community playing i don't know football and some e-games and you know just getting to know each other and um it i just i just felt like it was coming home the people mm. they they know russian it was like a small family that i found there and it was a huge part of my childhood to go there
0: wow so it's like you're 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 in German Kita where you're speaking German and you're sort of like trying to be German and then you're in this other space um this Yudishka Gemeinde this Jewish community where you're like speaking Russian and you're feeling more like yourself.
2: Yeah, I felt more like at home, like the people understand where I come from, the people understand who I am. I don't have to to pretend to know something which I don't. I don't have to fake something, you know, because at this time, this, I know German and I feel so good here. It was kind of faking. I was trying to fit in and Mm. in the Jewish community, I didn't have to because I was already part of that community.
0: Wow. Um, This is like a big question, but like, when do you think you started to feel like you fit into German society?
2: (laughs) Well, um that's actually a really difficult question because I often get the question like, do you feel German? Do you feel Ukrainian, Russian, European, whatever? And I don't really have an answer for that because, I mean, I think I feel German when I'm in Israel because when there's a red stoplight, I'm standing, I'm not going. (laughs) It's, I mean, look at the traffic. I'm not used to the traffic in Israel. And um, I think... I'm always on time. I was always on time. I don't know if it's Russian education or the German behavior that I learned here, um, but I think these things make me German. But in Germany, I'm not really German. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm half Ukrainian, half German, 100% Jewish, and people don't really know where to put me. They always try to put me put me in boxes. And I'm sort of in between those boxes. And I like to switch and uh, shift back and forth. Um, depends on, wow. the, on the context.
0: Wow. Okay. So you had like these multiple worlds. So you're like hanging out in the Yudasche Gemeinde and you're like hanging out with like your German friends in school. Were there other worlds that you were like popping in and out of? Is there a Ukrainian world you're also a part of?
2: Um, Ukrainian world? If you call that my home, I guess. Uh,
0: Okay. Tell me about um, your home. Like, was your Jewishness only in the synagogue or was there Jewishness at home as well?
2: Well, my mom and my grandma didn't know anything about Judaism. I mean, um, my grandma always tells me that her father was very religious and he read the Torah and they kept Kashrut and everything but she didn't recognize any of this in in herself anymore because it's just like so far away and she didn't understand any of it. Um, In the Soviet Union, it was forbidden to to follow religion at all, especially Jewish uh, Jewish religion. So um, she doesn't know much. And I was um, sort of the one that brought religion into the family and really told them, okay, we celebrate Pesach, we celebrate Hanukkah, we do that. But why do we do that? And I told them the stories that I learned in in my uh religion class in in the synagogue. And they were always listening and I felt like uh like a great rabbi who who tells them <laughs> and explores the world for them. Um so yeah, it's it's like the religious education came from me to them and not the other way around.
0: Wow. So like you brought the holiday like you mentioned Pesach before, like eating matzah somewhere in Ukraine. You know, you probably got it from the matzah factory in Kharkov or something like that. <laughs> probably. Uh, um, but, uh, like, do you remember a, a Pesach early on in uh, once you arrived in Germany? Like, I imagine maybe you were leading it.
2: Um, actually, the first Pesach I was leading was 2020 when the synagogue closed. Wow. And... Actually, we always celebrate Pesach in the community in Nuremberg, and then we didn't have a seder anymore. So I told my parents, "You know what? Let's do this at home. I'll guide you through it. Somehow we'll we'll get through this. We can do this, all right? We have the wine, we have the seder plate, and we can do this. Just we'll get through this. And um, this is the first time I was leading a seder in." in my family. Yeah.
0: What did you do? How did you, how did you prepare? Like what? Tell me, this is awesome. This, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was reading a lot. Um, I was reading the Haggadah. I was reading the story. Um, my father was very pe- um patient and, um, he actually just wanted to eat. And I was saying, no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> just wait. Um, now we eat this and then, uh, and everything. And, um, but I I had to read a lot actually. And, um, but, um, you know, I think it was a nice change for a while Mm. because we don't do that often in, in our homes. Like I said, we, we were not religious at all. And just to, to do this step and do something different for, for a while, it's, I, I don't know, can you, can you say it spiced up the game? I mean, yeah. everyone, everyone was at home, and it was just like a family gathering, which is really, really rare in our family. Because my mom works at a hospital, my my dad um, drives a bus, and it's really hard to um to sit at the table for yeah some day at a week and just have a meal together. And then when it's Pesach and it's a holiday, and it's it makes it even more special.
0: Wow, and can I ask? Did it continue? Like, did you keep doing holidays at home over the last year?
2: Um, we actually celebrate Hanukkah um, a lot of years from now on because Hanukkah was always my favorite holiday. I I loved Hanukkah since I was like six. I loved the lights and the food and uh, it's just... Um, it really made my childhood in the community, and I always mm. lighted the candles at home, and I said the bracha, and I, ta- um, I t- um, taught my little brother who is eight now, and he says it with me now. So uh, Hanukkah was always present.
1: Wow. Um,
2: I think then, like if I have to to make a ranking, first one would be, <laughs> I think the first one would be Hanukkah, the second Purim, and third Pesach. Okay. And sometimes we also do Shabbos. Oh, wow. It's like a it's like a tradition to um to make chalot with my mom. Um it really is like mother-daughter bonding. Um she makes the dough and I um make the how do you call it the braid and I do the braid. And yeah, it's it's just fun. We do that every Friday.
0: Wow. And did you did like who started the tradition of making chalot together?
2: Um that's complicated, because my mom loves to bake, okay, and I love chalot, and she didn't really have the perfect recipe for chalot and I had a friend from my Jewish community um who is very religious, and she gave me a recipe, and I gave it to my mom, and then she started baking, and I started braiding, so it was more of a teamwork
0: Wow, that's amazing. It's really interesting because, like, you know, you you said this comment before, and I think you kind of meant it flippantly, but I think it's incredibly deep, and it says a lot about what Jewish life is like here. Where you said I was kind of the rabbi of my family, um, and you were the. Ra- when do you think you realized you were the rabbi of your family? Because I imagine at first you were just going to like the kids' programs at the Yiddishkahminda, and you were learning things, and you were coming home excited and just telling your family about it. When did you realize like oh wow I'm the
2: rabbi? <laughs> um nice question. I think when my grandma and my mom started really asking me about Judaism like okay <laughs> why do we actually light two candles? What are they what do they stand for? And why do we celebrate Pesach? And why is it like week? What do we exactly celebrate? And What's the history behind Purim and Hanukkah? So they always knew the holidays. They just didn't know the background history of it. And I was like the the history teacher and the rabbi explaining (laughs) all to them like, like my religion teacher told me. Wow. So, yeah.
0: That's so and was was this all from the Yudhishek Gemeinde? Was it also some from school? Like where were you getting your was it from the Machanot? Were you a Machane kid? Like where was your religious education coming from? Um
2: okay, so I have to I have to start with um with anti-Semitism. Because oh, always um, the best
0: place to start. In, yeah.
2: <laughs> in preschool there was a boy who um he always um said to me, You do. Do youde, do youde, do youde, and I didn't quite get that. I was confused because I was thinking I don't go to him and say, "Hey, you Muslim," or "Hey, you Christian," and something about this word "Jew" has to be special, and special in a negative way. If he uses it, that is an insult. And so I went um, to um, the religion classes in my community, and I learned about Judaism. And I really, I actually asked my teacher. Herr what's actually wrong with us? Because everybody hates us, and I don't know why. So, so Something has to be wrong with us. Um, And he explained to me what anti-Semitism is. I mean, to a nine-year-old girl, to an eight-year-old girl, I don't don't know. And um, I really started thinking about religion. What does it mean to be Jewish? What does it mean to have these traditions? And what makes us different? Are we even different? And um, yeah, this was like the starting point where I was interested in my religion. And then I was very active in my community. I was always present when there was um, a celebration going on. I was always was dancing, singing, lighting the candles, and yeah, what else? Um, I think
0: this. This I I don't want. We're gonna go on, and I want to hear about the rest. But this is an incredible (laughs) moment that your teacher, what her, what was his name? Herr Hal Herr Liev. Okay, so this is an incredible moment because you're at this moment where it's like you're thinking to yourself, there's something wrong with me. And you and I both know a lot of Jews with something that we might call internalized anti-Semitism. You know, you've sort of yeah. like, the rest of society is saying there's something wrong with you. And you could have like taken that in and be like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I have to suppress it. I have to keep it down. But in this moment, something about this conversation with this teacher, you were like, oh, I got to go in. Like, I got to get in this thing. I got to start lighting candles. I got to start learning about this stuff. I got to start doing everything. Like, like, what was it? Was it you? Was it him? Was it the moment? Like, what do you think allowed you to go down that path?
2: I think it it was everything. Because he taught me, and I was a very critical student, and I was always asking why. Where do you know this from? Do you have any evidence? Why was the world made in seven days? How is it possible? I I couldn't imagine it. And he always tried to come up with a solution for my problems and to explain it properly to me. And I was so critical that he always found a way to convince me. And that's something I'm really, really grateful for.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So like, it it really sounds like he was a special teacher. So, uh, okay. You're, you, you have this conversation, you start going deeper in and you're like doing Shabbat at the community. And like, eventually you go to Machaneh, that happens.
2: Um, It actually started when I was 14. I went to the Jurovision where I sang. And since then, I mean, this was really the first time I saw anyone from germany who is jewish and i saw this whole crowd of people who are jewish and i was like oh my god there are so many (laughs) i didn't know there are so many jews and i was completely flashed by this event by the by the atmosphere by the songs everyone knew what the birkat amazon was and i was like what are we doing right now because we don't do that in our community with children you know And it it was really, really, yeah, I don't know. It was weird, but it was amazing. It was sort of a combination of both of it. And I started going um, to Jurovision more often and I did that, yeah, till I was 19. Can you just say a word about
0: most of our listeners are in Germany, but for the 30% or so who are not in Germany, can you say a word about what Jurovision is?
2: So, Eurovision is like the Eurovision Song Contest, but for the Jewish communities in Germany. And kids um, can participate, they cover a song, they write the text, they do a chore- choreography and just... I ah, they also do a video that presents the community, the city, and then there is an act. It's, yeah, it's about three, four minutes long. And you just like represent all the hard work you've been working for in the last three, four months, which you have been preparing. Every year has another motto. So the last one was Chai, um, where I also participated for the last time. And um, it's it's just a huge event. The last Eurovision, there were over four thousand people in this in this amazing crowd. And then, of course, the live stream, even more. So it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of adrenaline rushing through your veins, but it's an amazing, incredible feeling when you go upstage and sing that song and perform and represent your community. It's just overwhelming.
0: Wow. You know, and it's like, you're talking about two. There, first off, there's like the overwhelming thing of like performing in front of a crowd or whatever, but it's like, you are also performing in front of a crowd of your people you know it was like there's something about it that you're talking about you're like I'd never seen so many Jews before like this is crazy what's going on here um and that's an incredible that's an incredible feeling because you you grew up thinking like oh like I'm a foreigner I'm a stranger I have this one little place the Yudasha Gemeinde zu Nuremberg where like I belong and that's it and suddenly you're like oh my god there's a whole other place where I also belong um I also assume at some point you went and visited Israel or you've mentioned already that you'd visited Israel. What was that like? Like how, what your first time in Israel?
2: Um, it was very interesting. I just, it felt like another vacation. I'm going to travel a little bit. I'm going to see new things. And I saw a kibbutz. I went to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and I was just, it was all in, in one week, and I saw like half of Israel, I think, and I was just so impressed by the diversity this country has to offer, and I was like, wait, so in Jerusalem, there this is a completely different world that we see in Tel Aviv, and then we go to the Golan Heights, and then we go to Negev, and... Then we go to the Dead Sea, and I was just, oh my god, this is such a small country, such small land, and you have all of it there. Everything you want to see, you want to enjoy, you can do it there, and especially in Jerusalem when I was standing, um, when I was standing there, I was just, I, I really was speechless, because I didn't have the words to describe how I felt there. It sort of felt like coming home, which is completely weird because it's not my home. I've never been there before. I wasn't born there. But I still felt like it's something is reaching out to me and it's a part of it's a it's a part of me. Like a piece of heart that was left there and always just was looking for me to to find it. And yeah, Can it I was,
0: ask you a question? You, yeah. you don't have to answer this if you don't want. Um, do you feel more that overwhelming sense of home in Israel or at Eurovision?
2: That's actually a really good question. I think the feeling is very similar. Mm, and I wouldn't compare it because the feeling of coming home in Israel is a different one than coming to Jurovision. Jurovision is more of a seeing your family again. And Israel is like seeing your second home again.
0: But you I know think I can answer it there a little bit because you said <laughs> <laughs> like one is family and one is second home, which is like, I actually think this is beautiful because you're saying I love Israel. I care about Israel. I feel deeply connected. But like Jurovision, I was at home. I was with my family. That's incredibly powerful. That's incredibly powerful that like, um, because it actually speaks to, I have to tell you, when I first heard about Eurovision, I thought like, okay, Eurovision, I get it. Like, that's cute. And then I realized what an impact it has on people. And last year when it was canceled, it like devastated people. Because this is when the, the one day when like German youth from across the, German Jewish youth from across the country come together and they see their family. They feel like, oh, I'm not. A part of this tiny minority. There's a lot of us. We're all around. We're all here right now. And that's an incredibly powerful moment because that speaks to you and your personal experience. Like Israel is there. It's important. It's my second home. I feel really connected. But I think there's something really powerful in this, um, in how Jurovision affects people.
2: I think because of traveling and visiting all this, yeah, Jurovision, Machanot, and different seminars. You have several homes. I mean, Mm. I could go anytime to Munich to my best friend there and say, hey, I'm there for a weekend. Is that all right? And she would say, yeah, sure, you're welcome. And same goes to Berlin. And I think especially the Jewish community in Germany is very special, very cozy. It's very cozy. You always have a home in, in every city. I could go to Gelsenkirchen and I know someone. <laughs> <Cool>. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, okay. So full, full disclosure, you're the first of uh, what I hope to be five interviews of the new Vorstand of the Yodosude, the Jewish student union of Deutschland. Um, you know, I, I guess I have two questions and you can answer them in either order um, that you want, which is like, why did you want to run for this leadership position? And what do you hope to do with it now that you have it?
2: Alright. <laughs> Good question. There's, there's no
0: wrong answer. There's no so, wrong answer.
2: So um I was active in the Jotasudis since 2017. I was in the policy referat, and this was really the place where I actually learned what a policy is. I mean, I was just writing my um my final axioms in school and I was just It just was coincidence that I got there and I was confused at first, but then I got to know the people, I got to know the structure and I was really involved and I was interested in what I'm doing. And I really had the impression that what I was saying, people were listening and people were arguing and people were discussing and people were interacting about political things. Um, and I didn't have this space before because at school no one cared. And especially combining those interests in politics with the Jewishness that we all have and we all bring to this um, made this even more special. So I think this was the impulse to really stick to that and be active in this in this um, yeah student union. And I actually didn't want to run because... I was very self-conscious about me and I didn't really think that I could offer really something big to this um to this union. I thought why why me? I mean I know so many other people who are so much more qualified than me. And I talked to a lot of different people and they told me what are you thinking? Do you even know how much you have to offer? And they they were really really sweet to me and told me and encouraged me that that i should go for it and um, i'm not alone in this and they support me and they they support my ideas and so finally i decided to run um so i i ran with the ideas to to work more with um the regional student communities um in germany for example in bavaria and baden-württemberg and what we what we all have um And for example, I'm I'm studying to become a teacher for English and Spanish. And so I know a lot of people who also study history. And those people, they don't really know any Jews. And for me, it's difficult because when you're standing in front of a class and you want to talk about the Shoah and anti-Semitism, and you don't know any Jews and what's connected to that, it's difficult to to really tell something when you don't even know one Jew, and from his experience. In my school, I didn't really learn anything about the Shoah. We learned about the Second World War and um, Hitler and everything. And yeah, just, you know, a side effect, Um, Jews were killed, but also um, homosexuals and so on. But really, the importance of this topic was never so clear. Wow. And so many young people don't even know what the Holocaust was all about, and to see the parallels between the i f d and you know nineteen thirty eight and so on thirty three even um I think this is so important even nowadays, and I wanna talk about um students that wanna teach history someday want to get involved with young students to really be aware of what's this all about to to hear a jewish point of view but also tell stories about how jewish life is today and how positive we are celebrating our life and what what we have to offer yeah this um see Machanot, the pure jewish to life to life lechaim life um yeah i think that's important to mention also
0: i love this because everybody you know every every jew is uh, every Jewish organization is talking about how do we fight anti-Semitism? How do we, how do we combat this? And you're like, I'm playing the long game. Like you're talking about how do we decrease anti-Semitic events next year? You're saying, how do we convince the history teachers of tomorrow to teach the children of the children of tomorrow um more in a more informative way about the holocaust and about jewish life like i that is so inspiring and it also says to me something which is you're you're thinking about the deep future here for jewish life
2: i was just thinking about where's the root of this problem because hmm. school is i mean you go there to learn something and when you're not in school where do you learn anything you learn from social media you learn from your parents And in school, you really have the control and you have the, the vision. What do you want to teach your students? Teach your children so they become smarter. And I think this is where we, yeah, where we have to start with the children, because I don't think that after puberty, after you're, I don't know, 20, 25, you have a certain mindset and you're a grown up and i think it's really hard to to convince to convince someone who is like really radical and manufactured in his in his brain like so deeply um that you can like flip the switch it's not that easy but for children where they are just developing and getting to know themselves and who they are and where they stand in life i think this is the point in life where you really have to to set a milestone and to form those brains and the way of thinking of these students. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. And it's also beautiful. It's beautiful for me as a parent. It's also beautiful for me to hear from someone who wants to be a teacher themselves, because you clearly believe in the power of education um, and the power of really wow. impacting young people. And that's incredibly powerful. Um, speaking of teaching, Lena, I believe you have some Torah that you'd like to to discuss
2: So I want to talk about tikkun olam. Okay. I think tikkun olam is a motto. And how you follow that motto is simply in your hands. You can refer to tikkun olam as I will um, be a vegetarian, I will um, plant some trees, I will um, look out for nature and um, for... yeah. Our trees, really? our oceans and everything.
0: Do you remember where you first learned about Tikkun Olam? Um,
2: as many things <laughs> I learned <laughs> uh, about Tikkun Olam. I think it was grade 8 in my religious class in the community. And... Um, Herr
0: Jonathan... Uh, 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 Herr Janatliev, yeah. Jonathan <laughs> Janatliev.
2: Okay. Um, amazing teacher Um, we're really good friends now and when I have a problem I always go to him so he was the first one to teach me what tikkun olam was and what I got from that is that tikkun olam is to make the world better and this is like such a broad definition because how do you make the world better do you plant trees yeah I'm talking about KKL in um, Israel or what do you do? Do you interact with people? How do you behave? How do you follow the rules of the Torah? Um, it's up to you, actually. What do you understand about um, this broad, wide word, stikun olam? Um, so for me, it was to to first educate myself about what I want to do with this. And I came to the conclusion that I want to be a better person in order to communicate, hmm. um, it's quite difficult because I always thought talking about someone is is never going anywhere. Instead of that, you should talk to the person, hmm. and when you talk to the person instead of about each other, um, you really get to to know this this specifically human being and gets to know him in all of his forms and features and amazingness <laughs> and yeah i think this is the for me to to communicate to really look out for people how you how you say things why you say things and what you really say because words have a huge impact on on people, on on the mind and it can really do much and depends on how you choose your words. It can be um a vaccine or it can be toxic. And I think wow. um this is very important for me. So yeah, wow. that's the konalam for me.
0: I love that because like it's it's actually, you know, um A teacher of mine, Rabbi Levy Cooper, um, uh, once wrote this uh, uh, essay, this academic paper on what he calls the Americanization of Tikkun Olam. That Tikkun Olam was taken and it was taken to mean sort of like social justice oriented work. And that's a part of Tikkun Olam. But what tikkun Tikkun Olam actually is, it's actually a deep Kabbalistic idea that appears in the Zohar. And it says like when God created the world, he actually broke the world. He broke godliness. So there are shards of godliness, of divinity, of primordial essence scattered throughout the universe. And the act of bringing these shards together to rebuild, to repair that which was once whole, that is literally tikkun olam. It's this idea, the world is broken and we are required to fix it. And what you're saying is, listen, the world is broken in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, it's broken in social justice. Like, yeah, we need to be talking about like uh, political issues that speak to us. But we also need to be talking about like, how am I communicating with the people in my life? And it actually brings in this other thing that um, uh, there's this idea that when two people are engaging in Torah together, that the Shekhinah, the essence of God lies between them. And I would go so far as to say that like truth and Torah are deeply connected. When two people are engaging in, with each other in a deeply truthful and honest way, there's godliness in that.
2: And yeah, actually, As we said before, the world is like a puzzle piece which you have to put together. And if every person is holding one piece of this puzzle and just only focusing on this, you, you don't, you don't get a full picture. So you have to work together. You have to interact to make this puzzle, a whole picture.
0: I also love that because like, um, you have a lot of puzzle pieces in your life that make the whole picture which is also really cool. You know, you meant you said something before which it was I think it was kind of a throwaway but I think it was really deep where it's like I have many homes. You know, you're like you're not just one thing, you're not just like Ukrainian or Jewish or German or like loves Israel or on the Yiddish or in English, you're all of these things and like so much more that we don't necessarily have time for in a podcast that's supposed to be less than an hour. Um but it, you know, it's 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 amazing because like we're we're putting the puzzle pieces of the world together, and we're also like putting the puzzle pieces of ourselves together. I think is kind of what you're saying.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I like the idea.
0: Okay, it's your idea. I'm just like throwing <laughs> it throwing it back at you. That's really powerful. Cool. Well, I'm so excited for everything you're gonna do on the Forstein with Yoda Sude. I'm so excited with what's to come, uh, Lena. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to leave
2: our listeners with? Um. Just, I would say, be patient, be kind, be open-minded, and um, take care.
0: Amazing. All right, Lena, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This has been a real pleasure. Uh, And uh, maybe when you finish your uh, term of duty on the Yodosu Day, you'll come back and let us know how it went.
2: Happily. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Amazing.
1: Bye, Lena. Bye-bye that's it for another episode of Torah Curious. Torah Curious is a proud podcast of Base Berlin, Hillel Deutschland. Huge thanks to our guests Lena Pretula of the der Vorstand for joining us. Special thanks as always goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blady, Valentin Lutzet for the cover art, Alex Segura and Takega Suzawa for the awesome tunes john earl for helping us to put the puzzle pieces together and of course to our friend in the bay who made this all possible. stay tuned for another episode of torah curious with the next member of the yoda so set to drop in two weeks in the meantime keep learning
2: and stay curious